A moment's prayer before the sermon. Let us pray. May the words that I speak now and the thoughts and the feelings that we all now experience be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are almost too many themes to start off a sermon this week. Today is the 600th anniversary of... Oh, you are good. The Battle of Agincourt. Where, following which there was a wonderful carol, the Agincourt Carol, which I nearly got the choir to sing, which was our Song for Europe entry 1415. <laughs> the Battle of Agincourt took place on St. Crispin's Day. And who was St. Crispin? Ah. <laughs> well, it's worth looking up St. Crispin if you still use old encyclopedias or Googling Crispin if you use modern techniques and you discover that there were two who may have been brothers Crispin and Crispianus and they may have been martyred in Soissons in France or they may have been in Canterbury <laughs> but wherever they were they were cobblers and were martyred, martyred for their faith wonderful thing there about how we it's a bit like I sometimes think Premier League football England has a few homegrown saints but for the really good ones we import them from somewhere else but I'm not going to go either of those routes interesting as they might be I want to pick up a theme that we've actually just sung expand thy wings celestial dove Brood or our nature's night on our disordered spirits move and let there now be light. That's one of my favourite hymns because A, it suggests that however much I study the scriptures, there's always a deeper mystery there and I need the help of God's spirit to see even more. And secondly, because it's honest about what it is to be human. I suspect there's nobody here who occasionally doesn't have that sense of their spirits being disordered. I know that there are people amongst us and in the community of this church and people we know who at the moment are finding life very hard and are struggling through incredibly difficult things. Whose spirits feel pretty disordered. I guess there may be even more such people amongst us than I personally or we collectively know about because a lot of people keep these things deep inside themselves and don't easily talk about them. And maybe we come to church just some of the time just to try and hang in there. To hang in with faith. To hang in with our lives. 
looking for a way of getting through the next day, looking for a way of getting through the next week, looking for a way of getting from here to the future. What does the gospel have to say to people like that? And I'll say it again, if we're honest, that means people like you and me, at least some of the time. And how, as a community, do we actually help and support each other in these things? And what does it mean to pray as a community if we're dealing with these things, if we're looking to help and support each other with these things? What does it mean? On our disordered spirits move and let there now be light, sang Wesley. And my attention, as soon as I try and think about those things, is drawn to that passage from the Gospel you heard, which may not be the obvious one to think of. That well-known story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Mark's Gospel has 5,000 men. For once, Matthew is slightly more politically correct than Mark and adds, that's not to mention the women and the children. It is a fascinating story. Forget for the moment what actually happened. That's an interesting question, but if you concentrate on it, you maybe miss the major point of the story. Jesus has been training his followers to go out and do the sort of things he's been doing telling people of God's love, telling people that God is there for them, telling people that life and the world is about to change dramatically if they will accept that God's love is there for them. He sent them out to do that, to carry on what he's been doing, both through what they say and what they do, caring for people who are sick, caring for people whose lives are in a mess, reaching out to the marginalised and including them in the community again. Just before the story we heard, he sent them out in pairs, as trainees, peer support, going out in pairs to carry on what he's been doing. And they come back to him, and like any good supervisor, he wants to debrief them. He also knows that because they've been using a vast amount of energy doing some of these things on their own for the first time, they need to rest. They need nourishment. They need refreshment. Just like you and I, as we attempt to live Christian lives in the world round about us, be it our working lives or our personal lives or the lives we live in the community, 
we need to come apart for a time for rest and refreshment and reflection and for nurturing. And they come and they go with Jesus to a deserted place and no sooner have they got there than doesn't it always happen it's your day off and the phone rings. <laughs> it's the time for yourself and suddenly there's other people who it would be right to engage with. The crowds catch them up. And Jesus changes his day off. He starts engaging with the crowds. But also, he's still engaging, as you will see, with his disciples. This story is as much about Jesus' relationship with his disciples as it is about what Jesus does for the crowds. Jesus has compassion for the people. He sees that they're all over the place. The metaphor he uses for that is they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're all over the place. And he begins to talk to them and to teach them. Now his disciples are there, are listening to what he's saying, are watching what he's doing, and are starting to think like good disciples, like good assistants. And they spot a problem that's about to come over the horizon. They can see that Jesus is getting so carried away with what he's saying and with engaging with the people and their needs that neither he nor the crowds recognize that it's getting late and that pretty soon they're going to get hungry. So like many churches, like us, they spot a need in the community, an unmet need, and a need that's going to be unmet. And the disciples are worried. The disciples are worried because they think when all these crowds wake up to the fact that they're in the middle of nowhere, it's gone dark and there's no shops and they've got no food, that the disciples are going to, that the crowds are going to be pretty cross. And who are they going to take their anger out on? Well, they won't blame themselves because they're human. We don't, do we? If we get into a mess because we've not had enough forethought, we normally look around for someone else to blame. But they're not going to throw their anger at Jesus directly. They're going to take it out on his disciples. So his disciples are starting to panic. They can see a problem and they can see that the crowds will expect them to solve the problem and that Jesus might expect them to solve the problem because he's been training them to do the sort of things he's been doing. So what do they do when they're faced with a great need and an overwhelming problem affecting other people? 
they take the problem to the Lord. I was brought up on the phrase of take it to the Lord in prayer. They take the problem practically, but what they say to Jesus is still a prayer. Lord, here's a great need. You don't seem to be doing anything about it. Would you please do something about it? That matches quite a lot of my prayers, quite a lot of the time. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't deny there's a problem. He doesn't deny there's a need. He can see that. The disciples want to hand the problem over to Jesus and get him to take responsibility for telling the crowds to go away. Jesus has another idea. If you bring me this problem, you give them something to eat. He doesn't say, yes, I'll do what you say. He turns it back to them. You give them something to eat. If they are starting to recognize the need and the problem, he's trying to teach them. They also need to recognize that they may be part of the solution to the problem with him, admittedly, that they can't just dump responsibility on him. Again and again, as we voice our prayers, we often voice prayers to God, trying to get ourselves out of the responsibility of dealing with them. We want the clouds to be parted and everything to be put right in a way which doesn't involve us at all. That's often the way I pray until I stop and think. But actually when we're praying, as I've said before, if we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we're not giving responsibility for solving problems for God. We're trying to align our will with God's will so that we become part of the solution. If that's what God wants. We're at least opening ourselves up to the possibility that we may be part of the solution. That if we think people need help and caring for, maybe we are part one of the agents or the channels through whom that caring might flow. You give them something to eat, says Jesus. And the disciples are very pragmatic. Some of them being running small businesses like fishermen. They, they, they think in practicalities. And they say, hang on a minute. That many people, no food. What are we going to buy food with? We haven't got any money. We haven't got any food and we haven't got any resources to get the money. So we can't give them something to eat. So you see, they're trying to give the responsibility back to Jesus again. Well, you tell us to share in doing this, Lord, but we're not the sort of people to do that. We've not got the resources for doing that. How can you expect that of us? 
No, it'll have to be you, not us. And then Jesus asks a really profound question. He says, How many loaves are there? How many loaves have you got? Go and find out. And you can just imagine going, ho, 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 ho. But they better do what they're told. So they go, find out. And they come back. And you can almost hear the triumph in their voices. Because what they found is so ridiculously small, it was hardly worth finding it. They've got five loaves and two fish. For all those people, they've managed to find five loaves and two fish. But they didn't even know that those resources were there before they went and looked. They want Jesus to sort this problem out without noticing what resources have already been given. Paltry, although it seems, there are resources there. They're only seeing the crowds as people who are in need. They are labelling those crowds as needy people. They're not noticing the resources the crowds have got with them. The fact they've got resources doesn't mean to say they're not needy. The fact they're needy doesn't mean to say they've not got resources. God-given resources. Just like so often, when we pray for people or relate to people, we define them by their lack or by their need. And find it so hard to see the resources in the person in need. When I was at university, my father was struck down with what, in the end, proved to be an inoperable brain tumour. I went to visit him in hospital, thinking that he would be dead within days. That was difficult for me because I'd been in hospital as a child and I still had hospital phobia. So I walked into the ward worrying about what I would say and what I would do. This huge wave of peace and love radiated to me from my father. In his need, he was also a source of gift. There were resources in him, deep in his need. The disciples come back with their paltry resources five loaves and two fish and they give them to Jesus and what does Jesus do 
He doesn't start praying for the need. That's not his first move. His first move is to thank God for what's already been given. Even in the middle of the problem and the need, he thanks God for what's already been given. And just like we do at a communion service, he thanks God. And somehow, those apparently paltry resources become sufficient for everybody. And there's oodles left over for feeding people in the future. The small resources become sufficient Now, as I say, whether one person's lunch being taken shamed everybody else to getting out their rations and sharing them that they'd been hiding, or whether there really was some true miracle and extra bed multiplies, or whether it was like the manner in the wilderness in the Old Testament, or whether it was like a communion service where actually one tiny piece is sufficient when it comes to it. We can all have great fun working out what we think actually happened and they're important questions but they're not the most important part of this story. My old preaching mentor, Whitfield Foy, used to say, I've worked with this story for years, and every now and again I read a new commentary or I read a new idea or I think of it of myself and I think I know what actually happened. And I will write sermons based on it and then after I preach them I'll wake up in the middle of the night sweating saying, but what about the twelve baskets left over? Because no explanation ever explains the twelve baskets left over. But then he went on to say, this was towards the end of his life, after he'd had a quadruple heart bypass operation, He said, I'm lucky to be alive at the moment. I need to be preparing not to work out what actually happened. I need to be preparing to meet my maker. What's this story got to say to me as I do that? The resources that God has given are there and we're all people of need and people of resource. And as a community, we care for each other by trying to discern and recognise the gifts in each other as well as the needs in each other. And we try and hold each other and care for each other and we offer each other and ourselves to God with the resources God has given us and with our needs. And we try to open ourselves to let God's will be done through us and for us. And when life is tough, sometimes that's the only thing you can hang on to Sometimes when life is tough and you don't know how to pray or you daren't say the things you want to pray, 
because you think it's not right. Sometimes at those moments, it's only because there are others amongst us who will touch you on the shoulder and smile at you and ask if there's anything they can do and not only concentrate on your problem but remind you that there's more to you than just your problem. That's what carries us along. And that's the way that Jesus works through his followers to multiply God's love in the world. Let us pray that we're open to that. Amen.